0: This week, as I was driving, I had this kind of this this memory hit. Uh, something I hadn't thought about for a long time. It was uh, I remember this this particular VBS that I was I was at when I was probably eight or nine years old. And I remember I, I don't I, I grew up going to like multiple VBSs. My grand I was going to my grandma's churches, so I don't know why I remember this one other than. Uh, I was the best little evangelist that this church ever knew. <laughs> the pressure of that week or the message of that week kind of was that story about Jesus walking on the water along the water and calling people to become fishers of men. And so the emphasis was for that VBS week was invite your friends to church. Well, if you think I'm pushy now, you should have met me when I was 8. Because I brought kids to church that week. And every night they had prizes. I don't remember if I won every night, but I know that during the, during the week there would be prizes for you know memorizing the verse or bringing the most friends, those kinds of things. But at the end of the week was the big prize night. And I remember the big prize for bringing the most amount of friends. And I won, right? I won. Thank you. It's like I'm not even telling a story up here or something. I won. I had brought my friends, uh, these these two neighbor girls, they were twins, they were awful little girls too, and I brought them, they needed Jesus, that family, I was doing them a favor. And I brought my friend Todd, and I brought my friend Nick. And I remember that I had brought them all the last night. and I don't know if that was just because was, that was the big push. I, the details get a little bit fuzzy. But I remember Todd was sitting next to me, and Nick was sitting next to him. And the, the awful girls were next to, you know, down the way. Was, we still had to keep some distance, you know. Sinners at the end of the pew. <laughs> so I won. And the big prize, the big prize, are you ready? The big prize was a whole ice cream cake from Dairy Queen. It, kids, you all does everybody know what an ice cream cake is? Yeah. Ethan, do you know what an ice cream cake is? Well, Ethan and I were in the same boat because I didn't know what an ice cream cake was. Apparently these are expensive things and our family didn't have, didn't ever have that. But we, I did know what cake was and I didn't like cake. I like brownies, right? Brownies and ice cream. That was, our, that was our family's thing. I didn't like cake. And so when they, they handed out this big prize, and everybody's like, oh, and I'm like, Pfft. cake. Cake stinks. I don't want cake. And my friend Todd, seizing on the opportunity, says, well, can I have it? And I'm like, well, I don't like cake, so here you go. So I give it to him. Had I known what ice cream cake was, so we're driving home, and this is a memory that I have, and I'm glad that my dad isn't visiting us with this week, because he's not here to defend himself. And I remember that we were driving home from this, and I remember vividly dad asking me about the, the, the coupon, the ice cream cake coupon, and I said, well, I, I gave it to Todd, and I don't like cake. And he's like, you did what? And I remember him being so mad at me, and now I realize he just wanted the cake, he just wanted the ice cream cake all this time. I thought he was worried about me being taken advantage of. No, not at all. Dad, got Our story today <laughs> is that story from Mark. <coughs> if you want to turn to your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1. If if you want to just grab a Bible in the pew there, next in front of you, just follow along right where I'm at. It is page 836. Make it real easy on you. Big mark there, chapter one, and we're going to begin there. And I am going to ruin this story for you. I'm going to ruin this story for you. I was supposed to have a nice, tame, um, you know, low-key sermon before we jump back into the God first series, and then I didn't. So. I want you to follow along and read. We're going to begin with verse 14. You have to read this all as one. I know that if you're using the Bible like I am, there are these headings here. And these headings kind of break it up. And it makes it feel like there's something new happening. Right, But it's not. Verses for, verse 14 flows right into the rest of what's happening, in, 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 down into, through verse 20. And so I'm going to start there in verse 14. We'll read it all the way through, and we'll kind of jump back, and we'll talk a little bit about it. So beginning with verse 14. Now John was arrested. John the Baptist was arrested. And Jesus then comes into Galilee, and he proclaims the gospel of God. Some of your Bibles might say good news gospel good news these are interchangeable words the gospel of God saying the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the good news and passing along the sea of Galilee he saw Simon and Andrew and their brother uh, the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and Jesus said to them follow me and I will make you fishers of men And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, (coughs) and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, too. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. This is a start. I mean, I don't know. Some of you maybe didn't grow up in church. Um, Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, But if you did kind of grow up going to church, you've probably heard about a thousand sermons on this text, or had a thousand VBS lessons uh, about this text. This is a story that has captured our imaginations, because I think of its starkness. You know, you just, somebody walks by and says, hey, quit your job and follow me, and you're like, okay, sounds good, let's do it. You're sitting there with your dad in the family business, you're working in the family business, and Guy walks by and says, "Hey, leave your dad, forget the business, and follow me." And they just do. I mean, it's just such a, such a powerful story. It's, it it makes me wonder. You know, would I do that? We could put our place ourselves in that place, but <clears throat> it's imperative that we begin with verses fourteen and fifteen because here Jesus says two two phrases that are critical to understand. The first is gospel or good news, and the second is the kingdom of God. Now, what do these words mean and how do they flow into it? Recognizing that this book was originally handed to people, right, That, that these words had to have some kind of backdrop. They had to have some kind of context for what gospel or good news meant and what kingdom of God meant. But some of you are really smart. Can I get a witness? There you go. And you can intuit, right, good news, well, I'm glad I heard it, right? And here you see that the good news is the kingdom of God, and you might kind of have a concept of what a, a kingdom is—a territory or place where, uh, obvi- obviously, God is the ruler, and it would be good news for God to be in charge. Like you, you might intuit some of that stuff, but I think oftentimes we we kind of pass over that, and and there's some really interesting things in uh, the way that w- in which good news functions actually in in that ancient context. And I want to get a little National Geographic on you if I can for a minute. Um, this here is a big rock with writing on it. <laughs> You're following along? Thank you. This is the Preen inscription, and it's an ancient inscription. It's an ancient rock that was put inside of a temple, and it proclaims the glory or the the, the providence of of providence, of the gods, to give to the people Caesar, and so I want to give you. This is what the inscription says. Here it is. You can see it here. Since providence has set in, has set uh, most perfect order in most perfect order by giving us Augustus. That's Caesar. That's the emperor of the world at the time, whom she, that is providence, has filled with virtue, that we might benefit. That he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior. Soter. You might have heard the word savior in other contexts, right? I mean, this is what we call Jesus here. But here, Augustus is savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. Augustus against Caesar was the beginning of good tidings. This word here is good news or gospel, euangelion, the exact same word. Word that is in your Bibles. And here it is then, attached for the world that that came by reason of him. So here we have good news is attached to the coming of Caesar Augustus, of the emperor of the known world. It is good news that he has come. But is that always good news? Is that good news for everybody? You might not be familiar with ancient ancient. History, uh, and that's all right, or ancient politics. Fast forward this to two, 2020, right? You're going to have two candidates. One of them is going to be elected, and you are either going to say, it is good news, or you are going to say, it is bad news, right? I mean, it is good news that Caesar Augustus came if you're Roman, but if you're a Jew like Jesus and you're underneath the imperial boot of Rome, is it good news? No, it's just news. (laughs) It's just news. In fact, I often turn on the news, and it's just news, isn't it? And so when we see this word good news, I don't want you to, I think sometimes what we hear is, when this is everyone should just, it's just just good news for everyone. God is just love. It's good news for everyone. Well, what is Jesus proclaiming here? Jesus was proclaiming the coming of the kingdom or the rule of God. And some people are going to really be pumped about that, but there are some people who are not going to be excited about that good news. And that news, that glad tidings, that evangelion here, that is brought forward, it continues on into the next story. Because as Jesus passes along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these people fishing, and he says, hey, leave your nets behind, follow me, and I will make you, what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. You've heard that story, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be a fisher of men it's it 's a very interesting phrase because when I was a kid, you know we we would do things like this anybody do any coloring pages? Anybody back in the day? Maybe we still do coloring pages or we make crafts like this, you know, or m- maybe you saying, "I will make you fishers of men if you follow me." If you follow, and then it gets higher and higher. We could hit those back in the day, but I can't hit it anymore. Follow me. It was a nice story. It's a nice story. It shows how committed they are to Jesus. It shows how they drop everything and they go out and they invite some kids to VBS, right? One of the important things that we need to remember as we read the Gospels and we try to understand what Jesus was doing and saying, because, again, this is a very short story. I want to ask all kinds of questions about this story. I want to ask questions like, is that really all Jesus said? Did Jesus say more than that? Did they know Jesus before? Like, how did it happen? And I want to know what Zebedee said when his boys dropped the nets and kept on. said, all right, see you, Dad. We'll, we'll be back in a couple of years. Like, I, I have so many questions. This text doesn't fill them out at all. What does it mean to be a fisher of men? Well, in order to understand this text, we need to ask questions about its ancient context, not what we might have thought about it. One of the interesting things about this text is that the Old Testament uses the phrase fisher of men. It uses this phrase. Which should inform us a little bit. It should say, okay, well, if the prophets use fishers of men, and since already, if you were paying attention, if you look at Mark, you can kind of even see it right here. Here's some quotes from the Already we've been introduced to the prophets. And that the prophets, which are these big, you know, this big chunk of scripture back here. If the prophets stand as the foundation for everything that Mark is doing, then perhaps when Jesus says, be fisher of men, he is talking out of the language of the prophets. And if that's the case, then we go to something like Jeremiah. Jeremiah 16, verses 16 through 18. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, or fishermen, depending on your translation, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. Because that's what good fishermen do. Right, Steve? They don't let them go. They catch them. And and afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rock, for my eyes are on their ways. This is God speaking. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols, which is just a great sentence, isn't it? And filled my inheritance with their abominations. If this is what Jesus is after, that changes the tone of the story quite a bit, doesn't it? When Jesus calls them forward to become fishers of men, they're not echoing VBS lessons or songs that you might have heard, they're echoing, they're hearing the prophets, and what do the prophets do? The prophets are saying that God is making a time when he is going to call forward people to go out like fishermen, to hook the guilty and draw them in for judgment. Told you I was gonna ruin the story for you. And the text continues says, uh, this is sort of the the way it's functioning, it's like this call by by all of the people. So, O Lord, my strength, this is poetry, and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. So all of creation, so the ends of the nations, the people from the ends of the earth are crying out to God and their need for him, which is Of course, echoed as Jesus, not just only in this text, calls them to be fishers of men, but later on tells them to go into all the world and to declare declare the good news, to declare the gospel. Another text that uses this idea of fishermen is Amos, that incredibly hostile prophet. Uh, Amos 4.1, he says this, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are in the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you, and they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. I thought it was fun. I really thought this was funny. You cows of Bashan. Like, it's just. So really, when we're talking about the, the context of how are prophets being you how are the prophets utilizing the word, the fish hook is not just the kind of nice and people, but it, the, the, the person who fishes is the person who grabs the guilty and brings them the message. It brings them into a moment of judgment. They encounter God, and they receive his judgment for the sin that is in their life, which means that that this story of being fisher of men is a little less like this, and a little more like this. <laughs> and isn't that the case? Like, I know my, my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, they're, they're big fishermen, I'm not much of a fisherman, uh, but I've gone out with them, and they just, they love it. I mean, they're just, being out in the water is slow, it's peaceful, it's calm, it's quiet, they're relaxing, um... But from the perspective of the fish, it kind of stinks, right? Like, what's the best you can hope for as a fish? You leave with a hole in your face. Like, that's the best you can hope for. It is a very violent, it's a violent thing. You're hauling this fish up. You're going to gut it, you're going to kill it, and you're going to eat it, (laughs) In fact, what's interesting about that is that Jesus, uh, the only other place that Jesus really talks about or uses the metaphor of fishing is actually in Matthew. He's telling a series of parables about, about the coming of the kingdom of God because the rule of God, the coming of the kingdom of God, that is when God comes back and establishes his rule, sets all things right, brings judgment, it is so tremendous an event that our minds can't conceive of it. It's so glorious we can't imagine it. And so Jesus tells these stories to try to help us understand what it's kind of going to be like. And this is one of the stories that he tells. Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the rule of God, when God comes and sets all things right, It is like a net that is thrown into the sea and it gathers fish of every kind. So, you know, you're not just fishing with a pole, but you're casting a net out and you're dragging it up. And when you throw it down, you're dragging up everything, fish, boots, steering wheels, everything, right? You're just pulling it all up. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and they sit down and they sort the good fish into the containers and they throw the bad away. I mean this is just this is what this is how they fished, this is what they did. So he gives them something in their common experience, something they know, something they, they they're familiar with, and then he applies it, and then he's gonna give us a little more actual content. Like, what does this mean then here? Let me explain the parable to you, which Jesus doesn't always do, so we're thankful for that. So it will be, he says, at the end of the age. And the angels will come and they will separate the evil from the righteous. And throw them into a fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like I said, I'm going to ruin the story for you. And one of the things I hope is when you read this, this, this story, it'll sort of open up new vistas to you. When you think about this fisher of men thing, that, that you will deepen your understanding because the good news is a double-edged sword. It is very good news if you're on God's side. Imagine Caesar shows up and he knocks on Portage's door. And he says, I am coming to rule over Portage. If you're on Caesar's side, it's very good news. If you are not, it is horrible news. I think sometimes we forget this. Jesus sends the disciples out. (coughs) Later on in Mark, just a couple chapters later in Mark 6... He sends them out two by two, and he sends them out with powers to display the kingdom of God, to set some things right, and he says, when you go into a town, stay with that town if they'll listen to you, and if they won't listen to you, kick the dust, right, kick the dust off your feet, and the dust will stand as a testimony against them, and so the disciples go out, and their message is repent. Repent. Repent is a word that we might be familiar with, you might not. It isn't just a word to say I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I know that I've broken God's law. I know I've transgressed his will. I know that I have done what is wrong and I need God. It's more than that. It means now I have turned my life Toward God, God's opinions are now my opinions. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's ways are now my ways. And included with all of that, of course, is the idea of letting go of sin and saying I'm sorry, and all of those things. But it has so much more. It's so much more than just just saying I'm sorry. And so. The judgment of God is a part of this idea of being fishers of men. So where does this leave us? How should we understand the story? How should we think about this story? We should think about it as maturely and deeply as possible. I think all of you here have the potential, if you are not already, mature and deep thinkers. And one of the things that I, I worry about as I, as I encounter Christians and I look at the way that they read Scripture is it seems very surface level and it hasn't thought deeply about the entirety of scripture and i want you guys to be as deep as you can i want you to think about the entirety of scripture and the entirety of scripture calls us to see this fisher of men is not a trite nice quiet fun little story we can tell kids so they invite people to vbs it is a story about god breaking into our world And when God breaks into our world, that's it. His rule is established. His judgment has come. And that judgment is on its way. And because that judgment is on its way, either because you have died and your time is up, or because Jesus knocks on our door and says, the time is now, I am ruling. We have a message that we have been given. A warning. A warning that can cause you to rejoice, or a warning that can cause you to weep. One of those two things. And so uh, I have a few applications I want to draw forward and talk a little bit about what it might mean for us to be fishers of men, as it were. And the first is this don't forget the edge. Don't forget the edge. So frequently, when I hear people talking about God, they forget the edge. And this is a huge sticking point in our culture with that steady um, drumbeat of inclusion. I have conversations with people about God a lot, right? You probably aren't surprised by that. And frequently I hear something like, not always exactly verbatim, but something like, well, let me tell you what I think about God. Please take this in, in, in the way, in, in, the, in the heart that I mean it. I don't care what you think about God. Our thoughts about God are really just our opinions about what we want God to be like. And that doesn't do us anything, it doesn't get us anywhere. It might make you feel good, like you might be able to pat yourself on the back, you know, but ultimately, if it doesn't emerge from something with some authority, with something that speaks about who God is, it's just your thoughts and my thoughts might be opposite and we're just sort of, we're at a, we're at a, a stalemate here. Or rather, I am very interested in what scripture has to say about God. It is the voice of God speaking to us, especially through Jesus. And, and the thing that I have harped on for the past four years that I've been with you and the years before that that I was at other churches, is this. The Jesus that says everybody is okay is a figment of our collective imagination. Jesus is a God who has come into our presence and said, I am bringing my rule. Repent, turn, and come to me that I might heal your diseases and your, your sicknesses, that I might heal your sorrows and your hurts, that I might be present with you, all of that beautiful, glorious, good news, but it comes with the edge, and the edge is this, Jesus is king. Or he doesn't have you in his kingdom. There's an edge to that. And I get that that's not popular. Like, I get, I get somebody's gonna leave here offended, and I'm sorry for that, I really am. But I desperately want you to hear this truth. This was the message of Jesus. These are the words. These words that we just read. These are Jesus' words, right? I didn't make them up. They're his stories. If you want anything to do with him and his grace and his love, you have to take all of that into account. And that is serious business. That's heavy. Separating, I saw this week, uh, somebody said something like, uh, you know, Jesus would never discriminate. Now, I get that in the back of our minds, we hear discriminate and we think racial discrimination, which is a horrific and ungodly evil, which God will bring his fiercest judgment upon. Uh, But to discriminate is to separate two things, right? That's all the word means. And Jesus is highly discriminatory. He doesn't discriminate like we do based on color or age or money or beauty or skill or intelligence. He judges on the heart. But he separates the good from the evil. And it is a very serious thing to say that that separation of the evil comes with words like weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, Jesus' words, not mine. Which should bring us to this next point. It should get us a little scared. Like there's some fear here. I fear for my soul. I fear for your soul. We ask these questions. These, are we, are we re, is Jesus, are we really surrendering all? Like we say, are we really, is Jesus really my king? Or am I playing at this stuff? Because he knows the difference, right? I mean, Jesus knows the difference. And we can pretend all we want I, and I, I think that this, this fear has to go two ways. One is, again, it, it has to be a part of the way that we describe the coming of God. We need to say to people, God is, God is love, but God's judgment is coming as well. And the love piece is the invitation to you to set aside sin and walk with him. But ultimately, the biggest danger here for us, because I think most of the people in the room here are Christians, the biggest danger for the Christian is Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Because we begin to learn all the right words and we begin to learn all the right phrases and we begin to learn all the right verses. And we begin to deceive ourselves. Now that I've, like, been mean, the news is still good. Like, it is still good. You heard those words. Maybe when you're maybe maybe somebody's here and you like you went to church a little bit when you're a kid, but you didn't really you didn't really keep with it, and you're just kind of here. But one verse that I think I found most people I run into have heard some version of this: "For God so loved the world." How's it go? You, you petered off really terribly toward the end there, but <laughs> it was a good start. Yeah, I mean, we've 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 probably heard some version of that. You might have even heard something. Maybe maybe all you've heard is God is love. Like, that's true. I mean, that's incredible. It's 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 amazing. As I and one of the one of the things that is sort of weird about being a Christian and being a Christian for any length of time is you begin to learn more and more how terrible you are. Like that's a strange thing. But I I I'm like, oh, you know. Jordan, you're kind of an awful dude. Like, how did you, why did you think that? Why did you say, like, you begin to be more and more confronted with my my sin and my errors. And I think more and more how often, how amazing it is that God would come and rescue me and then promise me a room in his house. It's incredible. And one of the dangers is that so many people who... That's the only verse you know you haven't been taken through because Jesus continues on. Just a couple of verses later, he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's good news. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life because the wrath of God remains on him. And I I think it's so interesting the way that John says that because he, he says believes in the first place, and you might be like, okay, well, I... I mean, I do think there was a Jesus, and I do think that he died on the cross for my sins, and I do think, you, know, you might think all of the right things, but it's interesting that the next line is, but does not obey him. He doesn't reiterate belief, he asks about obedience. Tying the two together, which is a very Jewish idea. It's rooted in the Old Testament. To hear is to do, to hear is to obey. If you heard God, then you do what God says. Like, that's what Jesus is after. So it's amazing, immense, and tremendous good news. In fact, if you look at Mark, Right after he calls the disciples, he immediately enters into the city of Capernaum and he confronts a demon and he casts the demon out. He confronts sicknesses and he casts the sickness out. He confronts brokenness and he casts the brokenness. Like Jesus enters into the rest of his ministry and he is just driving back evil and darkness because as the rule of God comes upon a people, the evil is driven back. That's good news. That's amazing news. But there are so many folks who have been blinded by the God of this world, who believe that their evil is good. In fact, in that same passage, that whole, like, God's to love the world, Jesus says, Men love darkness because their deeds were evil. The more that you live in evil, the more the evil doesn't bother you, the more the evil just settles with you, and you're like, Well, this is good. I love it. It's fun. But when you encounter God, the true and living God, God swears by his holiness. And he calls you to his holiness. He calls you to life. But you have to come. We used to sing a song after people were baptized, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Right? Have you decided to follow Jesus? no turning back no turning back because when the judgment comes everything is stripped away and there's no place to hide there's no place to hide and all the things that we have spent our life and I've seen this I'm I'm a young guy obviously the beard hides a lot of the baby this is why I can't shave the beard no matter how much you want because you'll be like that dude's 10 I can't listen to him but I've been at a lot of deathbeds, my friends. I've been at a lot of deathbeds. And I tell you what, at the deathbed, everything is stripped away, and all the regrets come pouring out. And your week is going to go by so fast. This morning, I was sitting there thinking I'd printed everything off, I had got my PowerPoint such as it is. Paul obviously did not design these because it's just text. <laughs> and I was done with everything, and I sat there and I looked out the window, and I was like, it's Sunday again. Right? It's, where, did, where did the week even happen? Like it just like happened to me, you know? And my plea with you, my plea with you is to hear this message. And to hear the call of Jesus. Right? What is the call of Jesus? The call of Jesus is that you would hear the good news. You would see that it's good news. That you would turn and that you would follow him. And that this would change who you are and what you believe. And that ultimately, what we have here this morning is a bit of a revival. That's been my prayer all week. That there is a bit of a revival in you. That you say to yourself, no, you know what? I, 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 I do want to drop my nets. I do want to set it down. I do want to leave it all behind because I do want to follow Jesus. And one of the things about following Jesus is that you get sucked into the mission of Jesus. Like what Jesus was about, you, you become about. I, I was thinking this morning as well about that line in John where he says, listen, I want you to abide in me. Like that's, a, that is a con- that's a constant thing. Like when do you not abide in your house? Like my house is always my house. And even when I'm out about somewhere else, I'm always coming back to that place. We abide in a place. And Jesus says, I want you to abide in me. Like, I want you day in and day out to dwell in my presence and in my power. And what happens is that when you dwell in the presence of Jesus, when he becomes your Lord, your Savior, your Master, and the one that you are following behind, like the old follow the leader games, you begin to be about his mission. And what is his mission in the world? It's to be a fisher of men, to grab a hold of people and shake them awake and say, judgment is coming. I wanted to, I thought about it, but I didn't uh, show a clip. I've showed it, I think I showed it like twice, which is why I didn't do it. The Pendulette clip. Uh, Pendulette is a famous atheist and Comedian, he's a very funny guy, and he was talking about this guy who shows up after his show and gave him a little Bible. And he's talking as an a, I mean, rabid atheist. The guy says, "You know, I don't respect Christians who believe that there's a hell, that believe that people actually might burn, or who believe that there's eternal life. Like they believe you, you believe you know how to get eternal life, and you don't tell people about it." Like Pendulette, rabid atheist says. How much are you going to hate a person to not let them know the way to life? It's just stunning. And that's the mission of Jesus. That's the message of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, my message to you is come forward and repent. Talk with our elders. They're going to be down here. They want to pray with you. Not because they're better than you. Not because we've figured something out that you don't know. But because we heard the voice of Jesus. And we said, I want that. And if you're a Christian here today... Obviously, the question is, start fishing. Why are you not sharing a message? We've got these little business cards out by the coffee. All it says is, our church, you're invited. How hard is it for just to invite somebody to church? Say, hey, you know, Penn Jillette, the rabidest atheist we know, says, I don't respect a Christian who doesn't care enough about me to tell me their salvation. You think that other people are going to be that upset with you? We've been given a mission Paul says, "From now on, therefore, and this is this is good news. Like this is beauty. This is beauty at its most resplendence. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human perspective. Even though once we looked at Christ and regarded Him from a human perspective." We regard him thus no longer because if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Do you want something new? All this is from God because we couldn't do it on our own. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us then the ministry to be reconcilers. To be fishers of men. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting our sins, our errors, our screw-ups against us. But then entrusting us with a message, of peace. Therefore, we become ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And so we implore you. I implore you, on behalf of Christ, get right with God. If you need to make a decision, our elders will be down front, and they would love to pray with you, to talk with you. The church wants to walk with you. Let's stand as we sing this last song.